0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Shaparo, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very special episode of the show for you folks today. Very timely. Joining us on the other side of the mic is J.W. Verrett, Associate Professor of Law at George Mason and former Advisory Committee member to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Today we're going to be continuing our conversation around the recent enforcement actions from the SEC against finance and Coinbase, But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Do more with your crypto. Whether you're a crypto expert or a newcomer to the world of digital currencies, PayPal provides a secure and convenient platform for your crypto transactions. Start exploring new Web3 applications with peace of mind, knowing that PayPal has your back. Learn more and get started today at paypal.com crypto. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the Clean Spark way. JW, can't think of a better guest to have on the show amidst all this interesting news. You're in the heart of DC in the bowels of the Blockchain Association, so I'm sure you have your finger on the proverbial pulse Before we kind of get into all of the recent headlines, tell us a little bit about your background as a crypto law professor and sort of how you think about the space broadly.
1: I'm excited about this space for a few reasons. I teach corporate securities banking law, and I also teach forensic accounting to lawyers. So in each of those areas of law, uh, crypto touches and completely changes what I teach and, and what I practice. I also practice law, defending people from the SEC primarily, uh, and do some expert work as a forensic accountant uh, in, in wire fraud, criminal, tax fraud uh, cases, stuff like that. Um, it changes everything. It changes corporate law, DAOs, for example, one example, changing business entity law, wrapping an LLC around a DAO and figuring out how to manage liability for DAO members. Changes securities law, we obviously know that. It, it challenges the precepts of the Howey test. Uh, it challenges what it means to be an exchange when you're just publishing code, stuff like that. It changes banking law. Uh, it's really cool that in DeFi banks can find a way to over-collateralize lending and auto-liquidate in a way that limits systemic risk. If they were larger, they would not be as systemically risky as traditional banks is, is my proposition. So it changes banking law, changes forensic accounting as well because in one sense it's easier to track your spending on chain if you're using traditional uh, you know, just basic Bitcoin or Ethereum. But in another sense, there are some privacy tools, and I'm a big Zcash guy. Uh, shout out to my friends at Zcash, a member of the foundation there, um, that, that change forensic accounting. If you're using proper privacy tool- tools, it should be impossible to track uh, your, your financial transactions on-chain, which is a new twist.
0: So all this stuff is really cool. To me. We have the SEC alleging that Binance and Coinbase – both uh trade unregistered or illegal securities but there's also another element to this which i find interesting and i think is overlooked in crypto or at least more crypto native uh, market participants which is they're also calling out the market structure which has existed in this form you know at least since i started covering the market 6 years ago right this is an integrated model where you have exchanges also operating as custodians also operating as prime brokers or or some form of a prime broker, we can get to the security debate a bit later, but I want to touch on this first. Um, What do you make of the SEC sort of calling out this integrated model? And to what extent uh, is is this at the heart or uh, at the root uh, of the SEC going after uh, these two uh, corporations?
1: When you talk about centralized exchanges, There are legitimate questions that need to be asked about integration of multiple functions. I'll grant that. An enforcement case is not the right place to do it. That is literally regulation by enforcement. It's the wrong way to approach securities law. former chairman of the SEC once said, no honest man should fear the SEC. I think that's true. That should be true. It's not true after these two actions have come out, I think. There are legitimate questions to be asked about segregation of function, no question those questions could have been answered from the SEC via Coinbase's request for rulemaking that they issued last summer that the SEC failed to respond to and that a federal court is, te- is instructing them they have to respond to. That's the proper place to consider those questions or in the legislative arena if you think we can get legislation to pass. But they're not proper questions for an enforcement action. That's just not fair.
0: So what do you think um, in terms of that aspect of of the of the case do they have any sort of let's say none of these tokens are deemed securities by the courts does the SEC have a good chance of making a case just based on on that sort of allegation on its own merit you're
1: saying if coinbase were to win on all the howie questions on all the token questions what happens to the uh, the the unregistered Exchange allegation? Yes.
0: Um, or that they're operating sort of this this business that is um, – this integrated business that's sort of not compliant as they see it. Well,
1: it's hard to separate those from the operation of an unregistered exchange, which hinges on the SEC uh, being able to prove that at least one of the tokens they've alleged are a security or a security. Uh, I don't think the SEC can get to the market questions – without winning on at least one of those tokens. Um, I'm also worried about, and I think everybody should be worried about, the wallet issues and the allegation that running the wallet uh, also is an unlicensed function. Because I fear that ties into the SEC's proposed ATS reforms that would sort of sweepingly define everything, including the publishing of code as an exchange. I think that comes from the same really negative place. Um, And I think it's somebody something everybody who is a DeFi user uh, should be very worried about.
0: How would you delineate the outcomes of of these suits? Obviously, the most excessive or extreme case rather for the exchanges would be the SEC winning. You could also have the exchanges winning. But then I guess there's a third outcome where you have Congress step in and sort of provide some sort of you know, almost saving grace or, or third way out for the exchanges where I would assume they'd carve out crypto outside of the SEC's jurisdiction. Um, what is the possibility of that? It is curious timing to see the enforcement action take place given last week, we saw the chairs of the House Financial Services and Agriculture Committee put forth a draft bill that would provide much of this you know, regulatory clarity.
1: Um, yeah, so if we were going to draw out the choose-your-own-adventure kind of book of what happens with all of these different variables, uh, it'd be a long book. And and hopefully hopefully, a few of those you get to the end of the adventure, and it's a transformed and more democratic financial system. Um, so three cases. I wouldn't just use these two, Binance and Coinbase. I'd also think about the Ripple case as well. What are the implications of them? Uh, one of them could go long-term, up to SCOTUS. There could be a reshaping of administrative authority the deference courts give to agencies. It could be a vehicle for that. Ripple says they're going to go all the way. Coinbase says they're going to go all the way to that. That's a long time from now. That's four or five years from now. So, okay, that's maybe a a slim hope for the future to keep us all going through some tough times ahead. What does the short-term hold for these cases? Um, The most probable outcome of a Ripple win would be something based on issues very specific to Ripple, probably, is my guess, like the fair notice defense they're raising. So that wouldn't, pardon the pun, ripple out too much into broader crypto issues in, in, in defenses. The Binance case is going to largely turn on issues specific to Binance and some of the, uh, the the fact that that everything I've read, I don't know much about them personally other than what I've read, but it seems to be that they were more risk preferring on the compliance and regulatory risk side. And so that case might turn on issues specific to Binance. Um, I think Coinbase is probably the the test case for what happens. Um, The the SEC has asserted that they only need to win on one alleged token being a security. And that's one strategic advantage to the SEC, no, no doubt. But the SEC has also not been honest about a real risk that they're taking here which is what if the other 11 are deemed not to be securities in a very extensive analysis by the court? That changes the dynamic for the SEC's enforcement posture of using Howie to go after not only crypto tokens, but securities broadly. And this is the most flexible, versatile tool that they have to point to some investment arrangement and say that's an underregistered security. It's a lot easier for them to prove that than to prove, say, fraud. And so they use that cudgel a lot. So there's a huge risk that they're taking as they expand the range of things that they allege are securities and and tokens that they allege are securities. They're taking a huge risk there. So there might be an outcome of settlement, which would be great. The SEC came out today and said, you know what? If you come in and register, I mean, they've said that, but they've never really allowed a path to register. But if they actually changed their tune and allowed a path for tokens to register – for coinbase to register is whatever as a special purpose broker dealer as an ATS the things things that they've tried to register before before in the past and been stopped if if, if there's a, a a kind of a ghost of Christmas past and the SEC comes around and says we'll come to the table and legitimately allow path and coinbase says okay we'll use that path and it's built on fixing the questions that coinbase put to the SEC in the request for rulemaking last summer um, that could be a great outcome even without legislation passing I don't see legislation passing this Congress it might pass the house it might be good thought leadership for the next Congress or the Congress after that particularly if there's regime change in administrations toward a more crypto friendly regime the Biden regime has become very anti crypto since FTX in part because FTX was a huge donor to Biden that's kind of how the politics works um, see so yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces on the board but hopefully I've given at least partial answer to your question, Frank?
0: Fair enough. And if we kind of look at the, the path, to regu- uh, path to sort of regulation, um, uh, Coinbase has said that they've tried, I think they've had 30 some on meetings with the SEC in which they've attempted to get um, some sort of path lined up for them. To play devil's advocate, I guess, I assume or I imagine Chair Gensler's view would be there is a path. You are registering, or rather you're facilitating the trading of unregistered securities. Get those securities registered or have the issuers of those tokens register them. Register yourself as a securities exchange, and then you can sort of proceed um, under the the sort of scope of the regulatory environment that's already set up. Now, if that's sort of the view, what is – what makes that untenable for, for Coinbase or, or from your perspective as a market participant?
1: Yeah, Chair Ginsler has expressed his view on uh, Squawk Box and my counter to him, and I asked him this question when I was retiring from the Investor Advisory Committee where I advised the SEC about these issues. Um, so in my securities law class – At the end of class, I've got some smart, young, future lawyers who've taken a full securities law class with me. We spent two days on how could crypto comply, and we managed to fill up three and a half hours of class with thinking through all the complications that would make it difficult for a crypto token to register as a security. Three and a half hours, we just talked about that. Things like, who would be the registrant if we registered Ethereum or Solana? Who would be the registrant? There's no Company that issued these things. There's no board of directors that owns the network. There are foundations that own some tokens, but That's not what you're interested in as a Solana buyer You're not interested in the Solana foundation and the few Solana tokens that that foundation has that's not Interesting to what you're buying or why you're trying to use it Um, That's just one complication. There are so many others where it just doesn't fit into the shoehorn of a traditional public company model the other thing is the SEC has faced hybrid types of modes of financing like this before, and usually they adapt. Reg ABS, mm-hmm. uh, Reg A B that handles asset-backed securities. This is a kind of thing that 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 takes a pool of loans and then turns them into equity and then sells them. Right? That was featured. The world learned a little bit about that in in, in the post two thousand eight crisis. So this is not something run by a CEO but it is something that sells equity. So the SEC, all right, we'll we'll start a whole new regime. We won't have like executive compensation reporting because there's no CEO, but we will have reporting of what's in the pool and more focus on the unique needs there. They created a whole new hybrid regime for asset-backed securities. They created a hybrid regime for master limited partnerships, a kind of an oil field thing that trades equity in a limited partnership that throws off cash regularly as a dividend, a whole hybrid thing. They created a hybrid thing under the 40 Act for real estate investment trusts, they have done. They know how to do this. They've done it lots of times before, and they didn't look at those industries with the kind of obsequious response that we see now.
0: And this is what Coinbase probably wanted to do. This is what they probably wanted to get done, something similar, carve out a similar sort of third way, yeah, as it were. I think so. Do you think that they just are not – compelled to do they, – they won't – There there is no other option?
1: I think there, there was a window open for this pre-FDX. Uh, I'm not sure how open it was, but it was at least partly open. And I think the politics of FDX and the fact that he was such a huge donor to so many Democrats and Republicans too, but th- the complication is that Democrat donations just shut that window up for right now. And that's what we're living in.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, do you think that uh, – it, have you sort of heard that that's exactly the the reasoning? Is it is this is this why we're we're at this juncture because of FTX and because he was so in, intertwined with Washington?
1: Everybody speaking Washington um, is working from that. I mean, I haven't talked to people inside the leadership at the SEC on this question because they don't they don't talk about stuff like that. But um, that is, I would say that's my informed speculation.
0: Attention, crypto holders moving crypto is seamless and secure with paypal with support for bitcoin eth and more you can buy sell hold send and check out with crypto at millions of shops online not to mention paypal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between paypal and venmo crypto wallets whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or huddling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com crypto terms and conditions apply. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located they create jobs, donate to schools and community centers and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.plainspark.com to learn more. And so, what do you think what do you think they want the future to look like because there's a lot of there's a lot of things we can speculate about in terms of how companies can sort of move forward under various types of regimes, but what do you think the agency wants to see? Like, obviously, people in our industry think they want it dead. Is is the future just a Coinbase in the U.S. that trades only Bitcoin and has it custodied by a third party? Is it a do they want Coinbase not to exist? What do you think their end vision is for the space, or is that sort of not even the prerogative, it's just that protect consumers at all costs, even if um, an industry sort of is thrown into the dustbin.
1: I think there's a difference between what people describe as the 10th floor of the SEC, which is the office of the chairman and the commissioners and their staffs, the direct staffs, and everybody else at the SEC. The 10th floor is the more kind of political. Um, the 10th floor turns over every couple of years. What does the 10th floor want? This is what SEC staff talk about, the 10th floor. And they're always running around trying to speculate on what the 10th floor is thinking. I think the 10th floor mm. um, probably doesn't care much what happens to crypto. The majority of commissioners probably would be fine um, seeing this industry go away. And that's unfortunate and that's sad. And, and I hope I hope that there's pressure from the possibility of a loss in the Coinbase case on some of the alleged tokens. I hope that the possibility of a loss at SCOTUS eventually on using something like the major questions doctrine that could significantly peel back the SEC's authority under Howey, I hope those prospects put pressure on the SEC to do the right thing and open up a constructive regulatory path. I think at the staff level, there's a lot of smart people in that building that I've met at conferences and stuff who who are thoughtful and who know a lot about how DeFi works and know a lot about uh, tokens and know a lot about and or and or agree with the basic tenets of the henman memos about the role of decentralization in the investment contract test and and appreciate the significance of that. And those people will still be there. And those are people that I think I could work with. I think people in the community could work with. Um and and uh so hopefully in the future those voices get a chance to 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 to, to you know to do their thing and we let the technical experts do their thing the same way they did with reggae BS the same way they did with uh, with master limited partnership uh, public trading and um, you
0: know I guess we'll see. so walk us through the importance of the major questions doctrine as it relates to these recent suits and the enforcement actions that we've seen. can you unpack this concept and explain why it's important basically?
1: Sure. So there's this um, administrative law is how courts look at what executive agencies do, so-called independent agencies, and consider how much deference to give the things that they do. They get powers from Congress. Congress writes a vague law that says you Mm -hmm. shall regulate this thing, generally speaking. And then these agencies write – used to be 50, 100-page rules. Now they write 500-page long rules outlining how those rules are going to work. And that body of regulation has grown exponentially over the last 10, 15 years. Initially, in the 70s and 80s, um, the Supreme Court developed a doctrine that was fairly deferential to these agencies called Chevron because Chevron happened to be the litigant in one of these cases. Mm. The Chevron doctrine was fairly deferential to agencies. And actually, one of the intellectual thought leaders behind the Chevron doctrine was Justice Scalia, the namesake from my law school. Um, mm-hmm. It happened to coincide with what the Reagan administration wanted to do at the time because they were pursuing a deregulatory agenda. That doctrine overall has gen- has tended to kind of uh, be the wind in the sails behind this exponential growth in the Code of Federal Regulations. And I think among, fairly say, among conservative and libertarian-minded judges, originalist judges, the doctrine is waning and the focus is more on a competing doctrine, a somewhat competing doctrine to that called the major questions doctrine. The idea behind it is if Congress has not given you specific authority to regulate a thing as an agency and you're seeking to regulate it, um, if it involves a major question of national economic or political importance, then you need to get authorization from Congress before you do anything. A couple of examples where it's been used and where it's kind of grown. A case where the FDA says, you know what, we're going to regulate cigarettes because Let's face it, nicotine is a drug. We have the authority to regulate mm-hmm. drugs, and so it works. And the Supreme Court said, nope, that's not what they meant by drugs. They didn't mean nicotine. Uh, they didn't mean cigarettes, so you don't have the authority to regulate cigarettes. DOJ looks at assisted suicide at one point in, in the recent past. I think it was the 90s or 2000. And DOJ says, look, physician-assisted suicide, we have the authority to regulate scheduled narcotics, and in physician-assisted mm-hmm. suicide you use scheduled narcotics. Therefore, we have the authority to stop this. We don't like it. Um, Supreme Court says, no, 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 that's not what what is meant by the scheduling of drugs. Some things are prohibited, some things are not. But the appropriate use of them in a medical procedure is not for the GOJ to decide. The major question is mm-hmm. applied. The way I've seen it applied, in fact, similar thing more recently with respect to the CDC saying, okay, a rent moratorium because of COVID. And the Supreme Court said, what, what? rent moratorium, because of COVID, you, you, know, you, you guys regulate, you guys do uh, research and, and public health yeah. regulation. It's a, it's a step beyond what Congress intended. So, All that sounds a lot like the Howey test in application to digital assets that live entirely on a decentralized blockchain. Um, I think there's a good analogy there. A lot of people agree with me, I think, because we're starting to see this argument raised in the uh, Wahi case which eventually settled, but it mm-hmm. was raised. And maybe that's part of the reason why the SEC settled it, because they don't like this argument. Uh, and I think it's an argument mm-hmm. that Coinbase and Ripple and Binance are going to run with. And, you know, we'll see what happens with it. That argument will take a while. I don't think the district court would play with that doctrine. they leave it for appellate courts to do. We, we probably wouldn't see a judge um, weigh in on that question until at least, you know, Second Circuit, or maybe even until... Scotus which is a, would be a long way away but it's one of the things that looms over these cases without a doubt
0: and I'm sure it's something that the folks at coinbase are are certainly thinking about oh, yes. when we think about some of the things they put out there publicly right um, that they they've well I find it funny how they they keep saying that as part of their like defense I think Brian Armstrong tweeted this out nothing we uh, have listed are we don't list securities which is kind of funny that's like you know I'm the most handsome man in the world. It's like, okay, it's great if I say it, but it really – it's not it's, – that's a, something that depends on, on the perspective of other people. Um, when you think about their engagements with the agency, they've said they put forward two different types of proposals. What do you think those proposals are? What do you think they look like? Um, and maybe what do those negotiations look like? Maybe peel back the curtain for us, given your experience.
1: So let's talk first about the negotiations between the Wells notice and now in the filing of the complaint. And then we can talk about pre-Wells notice. So historically, mm-hmm. after a Wells notice, a, a company and their counsel would go in to speak to the SEC and would say respectfully, you'd have kind of a little mini trial before the trial, so to speak, um, and you just make your case to the enforcement director. And you mm-hmm. – 10%, 20% of the time, you'd convince them that, you know what, we really are innocent. And you convince them to say, okay, our resources are better put elsewhere. And you'd win it at the, mm-hmm. at the Wells discussion, the Wells meeting. And the SEC enforcement staff had a norm that everybody gets a Wells meeting. Everybody gets to come in to make their case before we start um, you know, going out there and going after a company because just the act of bringing an action could destroy a company. So we'll give you a fair hearing before the enforcement staff because we have so much leverage and power just in the filing of an action. So everybody would get a Wells meeting. Mm -hmm. Some of the time, rarely, you'd get everything dismissed. Fairly often, you would get the SEC to say, okay, fine, we'll get rid of this and that. And it was kind of a dance where the SEC would say, come in and share stuff with us. And we'll get rid of some of these claims that we have Mm. and maybe narrow down the complaints. It's not as bad when it comes out. And then, of course, as defense counsel, you have to think, well... If I share stuff with them, like they're not gonna keep it secret. They're gonna use it later. So what if what if this is a trap? You know, and sometimes it was a trap. Um it, but it was a delicate dance, you got a fair hearing. That whole norm has changed under Ginsler, uh and under Grewall, Director Grewall, where not everybody gets a Wells notice and very rarely do things change between Wells and complaint. So that norm has changed. Um they just are not interested in engaging with the compliance bar or with the defense bar the way that they used to for the last 90 years of the SEC's history. Um, So I think Coinbase made the decision after the Wells that, you know what, we know what's coming and we can't affect it, so we're going to go public with what's going on. And to be honest, like a couple of years ago, I would have said, don't do that. That's not the right call. Now, I I can't second-guess the strategy because they they gained nothing by Mm. staying quiet post-Wells and pre-complaint. They weren't going to affect the complaint at all. It wasn't going to change. Um, So poking the bear after Well's notice um, was against conventional wisdom. I'm not sure that I would recommend it to anybody in a different situation, but I'm not sure that it hurt them Mm. either. Now, pre-Wells notice, uh, I I I don't have a lot of context for whatever negotiations they were having. But we do have the benefit of their filing their request for public comment. Um, I'll say I so they filed a request for public comment. Any member of the public can do that. It's a pretty fun process, at least if you're a securities lawyer. Um, I did one of these in January, so six month six months before Coinbase, I did one that was <laughs> kind of similar to theirs, and I said, "Hey, I'm a member of the public. I want you guys to fix the lack of application of securities laws to crypto." And here's some questions that are, that come out. Of course, they ignored me. They usually ignore requests for public rulemaking unless you sue him um so coinbase did a did a i'd like to think i gave him the idea i don't know uh, and i asked Chair ginsler about it when i was on the iac and he he kind of said uh thanks for serving on the iac and and uh you wish me a long and happy life uh, that was his quote so i hope that he meant that in a good way and not, i don't know i kind of speculate that with okay. his fingers crossed behind his back <laughs> that's right that's right that's right. Um, so we have the benefit of an extensive filing from
0: Coinbase, asking a lot of good questions. Um, I don't remember how long it was—maybe thirty, 30, 40 mm-hmm. pages. I mean, it's long. What do you think? What? Do, yeah. What do you think were some of the standout questions there?
1: Uh, I mean, everything from how how do the tokens register um, to you know what's it going to take for us to get a special purpose broker dealer license? We want one. You won't give us one. We've applied for one. What you know? What do you need? Uh, we get crickets. We got ghosted when we tried to do that. Um, so it, it, I think mm. it spanned everything from market structure questions to token registration questions for a token to be able to come into compliance. They're all legit questions, and I think they deserve, they deserve uh, an answer, um, which is why I hope that Coinbase's mandamus to force an answer is successful. So far it is.
0: Do you think that there's a way for tokens to get registered under some sort of framework? Well, not the current one. Yeah, there could be. I think there could be. Sure, uh, not the current
1: one, like you said, because you know, look at Blockstack, right? That was a disaster. They spent two million dollars uh, on yeah. on,
0: it. and they ended up going back to uh a right. sort of unregistered tokens. That's right. Um,
1: so that that doesn't work, and that was in an environment where the staff, where where the tenth floor, kind of allowed the staff to do questions and give you comments on your registration and uh, attempted registration of a reggae offering. Even then, even if we were still in that environment, there are still projects for which a registration A filing would be very difficult. Uh, On the one type of reggae filing, you only can raise $25 million. It also limits how much you can raise as as well. And for the larger raise that allows you to raise up to $75 million, you have to have audited financial statements. And Don't get me started on how the PCOB doesn't understand smart contracts and the benefits that smart contracts can give to auditability. They're just just far behind on on that entire concept. Um, But we could build a better mousetrap, no question. Uh, And there are already, um, you know, some of that's reflected in the the legislation, the early kind of rough draft legislation in the McHenry-Thompson bill, which is cool. Uh, There's a cool filing from a group called Lex Punk Army, which is kind of a DeFi lawyers group. They've done a Reg X proposal, working with some some big law mm-hmm. attorneys and some former big law attorneys and some DeFi people. That's uh, that they filed with the SEC. You can check out the LexPunks Reg X proposal for an exempt offering that has a disclosure framework. Mm-hmm. You could use some of the disclosure disclosures there, crypto specific disclosures. You know, we don't need to know about your board or executive comp or because those things don't apply. But we do need to know about uh, you know, who's, who's audited the chain. Who's uh, what, 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 you know, what, yeah. what firms you, have you used to audit the chain? What's the token distribution schedule? What are the tokenomics? Uh, who are the whales? Mm-hmm. How can we make sure whales aren't dumping? Um, and and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that we, we need to know. Um, so people are trying, none of these frameworks I think are ready to be implemented right now, but if you could put them all in, in the hands of the experts at Corp Fen, and you could say do a rule proposal that asks questions and then maybe do a final rule. Um, we could start that process now, no question. And there are a lot of people who want to help with this effort. I mean, I know some DeFi lawyers who are former SEC lawyers. So they came from the SEC, they went to DeFi. Ask them for help. They want to help. They love the agency, the agency's mission. They also understand DeFi. Um, they could get started on if we let's leverage that talent, you know. But not right now the door's closed, unfortunately. So I just I just
0: don't get when when we talk about sort of use metaphors like the the door is closed are they is it literally gensler just not engaging you know locking himself in a room if you're having these 30 meanings i just don't understand what is it one word answers to questions like i just don't understand the the sort of practical or the like tangible way in which something like that transpires it feels very
1: awkward. Yeah, I, 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 I just – I don't know what happened in those meetings. And I don't know the extent to which the chairman was directly involved. It would surprise me if he was. I would imagine they were probably with enforcement and Corp. Fenn staff. staff. Um, sometimes those meetings can be very uh, sanitized where you go in and you talk and you expect it back and forth. And it's yeah. like the most awkward Thanksgiving you've ever had. Um, I've been in those kind of meetings with clients. So it is,
0: it is, I'm, I'm not wrong. My sense is like that. It's very, very awkward. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably I mean, I've been is. in meetings like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> where they look at you and yeah. And you've got a half an hour and they look at you and you're like, I just talked for 10 minutes. Now I'm waiting for you to talk. And you both look at the clock and they're looking at you and you're like, okay, what, <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes that happens. It doesn't always happen that way. though.
0: That sounds awkward. So, Okay. So we, we've covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything else that you think stands out or that even surprised you um, about these about these two cases? Let's not forget that in the Binance one, obviously, it was very striking um, to see the – I think it was the COO say we're a uh, effing unregistered securities exchange. So that's, that's definitely um, a black eye on their side. And again, I mean they are different. They are different. Different. We kind of focus a bit on Coinbase, but maybe maybe we can dip our toes into Binance. Yeah. Um,
1: what to say about that? So there's always a hot dog when when you're when you're practicing law, you're doing document review, there's always a hot doc somewhere mm-hmm. where somebody said something they shouldn't have. And sometimes the hot dog relates to something that actually happened. And sometimes the hot dog is someone mouthing off who doesn't actually understand what they're talking about and they're actually wrong. So it's almost like sometimes people will email like, oh, we're doing something illegal. And it's not actually true that they are, but they think that they are or they're bragging about the fact that they are or something. like. That. So that happens sometimes. And that was often true of some of the most, you know, kind of uh, quoted documents about uh, the the LIBOR scandal. I will say mm-hmm. LIBOR was Hard to manipulate. I won't say it never was manipulated, but I would say it was certainly overblown the extent to which it was manipulated. And Chairman Gensler, when he was at the CFTC, made a lot of hay about this. There were a lot of hot docs where young traders were like, "Yeah, we just did this or that," and the underlying economics later proved that they didn't really manipulate LIBOR the way that they thought that they were because of the some of the some of the uh, mechanisms like throwing out the top bid and the bottom bid. Anyway, stuff like that. So. There were some hot docs in the in the LIBOR scandal, and it later turned out that just I think every prosecution of anyone in LIBOR was overturned subsequently. So a lot of political hate was made out of it. We got away from LIBOR as a reference rate. But then if you follow the cases post Gensler's term, like none of them were successful out of the CFTC or related DOJ actions. I don't know whether it's going to turn out like that or not. Uh, but I, I, that teaches me not to put too much behind hot dog quotes that, that make great quotes for a headline and predict how a prosecution will turn about as a result of them. Um, I think it's interesting to me that the Binance case came from CFTC and SEC at this point, And we've heard rumblings about DOJ possibly. I, th- mm-hmm. I think if DOJ was going to move forward, they the SEC and CFTC probably would have waited. Um, They wouldn't want to get ahead of a case like that and step on potential witnesses or anything like that. So my guess, my best guess, I could be completely wrong, is that DOJ decided not to move forward. They didn't have enough to move forward with whatever they were pushing for. Um, And so they, Mm. they gave a lot of stuff over. And so SEC and CFTC said, oh, look, we got some signal chats because, I don't know, maybe somebody was screenshotting or... Maybe they got to a device or something. But uh, they said, oh, these are good quotes. Let's throw them in. And at least on the side, C- CFTC side, the quotes don't actually have to do with issues primarily regulated by the CFTC. They had to do with AML issues that were well outside the CFTC's jurisdiction and, and anti-sanctions issues well outside the jurisdiction. But the CFTC threw them in because group makes a great headline, right? That shouldn't be the focus for just drafting a complaint, but that's probably why they throw them in. So There's a lot going on there. And I just think fundamentally that case is going to turn on issues that are not securities doctrine and Howey specific. They're going to turn on a lot of the other stuff that's going on around that place. You know?
0: Is that going to be a question of jurisdiction, jurisdictional authority?
1: That might come up. Uh, that might come up, and there might be a defense that they raise. But, but those can be hard because both in the Code of Federal Regulations, the, the, the Federal Criminal Code and the Federal Civil Code – Both um, grab extraterritorial jurisdiction as best they can. Mm. The limits on that application of extraterritorial jurisdiction are not great. And particularly when you have a company that has raised money from VCs within the U.S., even if they're operating outside the U.S., Mm. um, it gets hard to claim lack of jurisdiction.
0: And, of course, there's the whole interconnectivity of uh, Binance and Binance U.S., which was surprising to me as they sort of – uh described or or explained the sort of tech relationship between binance and binance us it was something that i mean a lot of those details didn't come as a surprise to me in fact it was very much um not just an open secret but something that binance us had you know they've talked about it on my show as well all of the sort of technological underpinnings of that exchange is was white labeled by by binance um or white-labeled by Finance.
1: Yeah, for me, I, yeah, I don't have any particular insight on that. But um, for me, somebody I've admired for a long time in banking law is Brian Brooks. Um, you know, he didn't stay there long. So I'm sure most people drew some assumptions from that fact.
0: Any sort of surprises or what maybe are you expecting to happen in the near term as this sort of uh, this dual brouhaha uh, continues to unfold?
1: There will be no easy solutions in the near term. Uh, it will be—you um, think winter is already here, but winter is coming. Mm. Uh, and 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 I think why is that?
0: Do you think because now there's just there's greater uncertainty and people will pull back? Like uh, it's a question I'm going to raise to Paul when I speak to him later. Uh, I'd be surprised if every single institutional client continues to trade on on Coinbase under this under this sort of. New regime.
1: Well, so I'm I'm going to continue to trade on Coinbase. If that uh, it's one of the platforms that I use that I like, uh, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I mostly trade on DeFi now, but Coinbase was a part of my early journey into crypto, and I'm not going to stop. In fact, I'm excited to trade more on Coinbase now as a result of this. Um, I uh, uh, I think that the whole industry is a target. I think things as simple as changes to the custody rules for crypto. I read is intended to try to limit the ability of VCs to invest in crypto and hedge funds to invest in crypto. And I think that's a shame, but that's going to put pressure on the Mm. industry. So the future of regulation is bleak. The future of major legislative reform in the near term is dim. But I do believe that the fight is in court. And I believe between defensive current cases outstanding and industry challenge of new SEC rules. Industry challenge to the custody rules, industry challenge to the reg ATS, uh, reform to define just the mere provision of code as operation of an exchange, uh, I believe have a fighting chance. And so I think that's where the fight is, and I think some of those might win.
0: Well, on that note, on that somewhat bleak note but inspirational note, JW, we thank you for joining the show. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Frank. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.